Well, this morning we're starting a new series and we're going to look through the early parts of the Gospel of Luke. Well, not the first part because that would land us in Christmas, which I don't think would be particularly great to start at this time of year. And we did cover those over Christmas and Advent. But reading the Gospels is an essential part of Christian discipleship, isn't it? And in some traditions of the church, a passage from the Gospel is read every week. Why? Because we come face to face with the words of Jesus. We come face to face with the actions, the teachings, the miracles, the deliverances that Jesus brings. And all four Gospels have a slightly different slant to them. They're all slightly different if you read them. Now, Luke is, is I can say, one of my favorites. There are only four, so you can't really have that many favorites, can you? But he's one of the writers that I really click with because of the way he writes. And he picks up on a certain number of themes. He's passionate that we know that Jesus is for the whole world. Yes, absolutely, he's the Jewish Messiah. But he is given for the whole of humanity as the savior of the world. Luke himself may have been a Gentile, and he may be writing for a Gentile audience, particularly the Greek-speaking word. He's also a doctor. Luke is a physician. And as we go through Luke's gospel, we'll see that that plays a part in the way he writes, because sometimes he explains medical conditions and healings in a slightly different way to the other writers. Luke is also passionate in showing that Jesus cared for the poor, for the marginalized. He gave voices to women, which was highly unusual at this period in history. And Luke is unique in starting the gospel largely through the eyes of Mary. And we'll find that Mary is in our reading this morning, and she's all the way through Luke's writing, right into the book of Acts, his second book, where she disappears at the end of Acts chapter 1. But today we're going to pick up, if you've got your Bible in front of you, in, um, we're going to pick up Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 51. If you've got a church Bible, it's on page 1028, and it's entitled, The Boy Jesus at the Temple. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Let's just pray again. Lord, as we reflect on this account of of your early life, we, we just pray that you will speak into our lives. In what is quite an unusual account, we, we just pray that you will bring truths to light that perhaps we haven't thought about before. So Holy Spirit, just bring your word to life, we pray. Amen. I quite like gardening. 
um, and I quite like growing our own food. Now, I put this down to environmental concern. Um, our boys probably put it down to middle-aged drift. Make of that what you will. But anyway, we have got a very, very small greenhouse in our garden. You know one of these things you get from Aldi that are about 50 pounds? And it's great because it means you can grow things um, at all different times of year. So I decided back in early spring to plant a load of, of seeds, um, bedding plants. Apart from I'd forgotten, I'd found a packet of old tomato seeds and I planted these as well. And um, they were all growing merrily. And then I forgot about the tomato seeds. Forgotten I planted them. I thought, I'll remember. Had I labelled them up? No, I hadn't. Get to late spring, start planting out your bedding plants. Here is one of our beautiful planters that Claire picked and that I planted up. Can you spot the mistake? Anyone? There we go. I have merrily planted a tomato plant. That's with my best five-year-old writing at the bottom right-hand corner. I have planted a tomato plant in the wrong place. I had forgotten to remember. Now, if I was a really good gardener, I would have recognized that the seedling was a tomato plant and planted it somewhere else. I'm not that good, so I planted it in with the plant. Um, if you want to offer me some advice at the end as to what to do with this, please do, because I don't know whether to leave it there and hope it will grow tomatoes on it, to dig it out and replant it. But anyway, that's for another time. It's easy to forget things in life, isn't it? It's easy to forget things, and quite often when we forget something, we don't actually know because we've forgotten it. But sometimes we forget to remember things that we do actually know. We forget to remember really important things. Sometimes we do that actively, sometimes more passively. Well, Luke chapter 2, Jesus is at the temple. It's entitled as a boy. This isn't quite the case, as we'll see as this passage goes up, but it's almost right. So let's have a quick look at what is going on um, so that we can get some kind of context and feel for, for this action that is happening in this part of Luke's gospel. Jesus is with a large group of family and friends, traveling from Nazareth to Jerusalem. That rolls off the tongue nice and easily, doesn't it? It was a long, long way. 90 miles. Fancy that, walking with a 12-year-old? Are we there yet? We'll take on a whole new meaning. And it's probably 30 hours of walking. 30 hours. It's a long way. The temperature is rising, 23, 24, 25, that time of year. It's hot, probably a similar day to today, you imagine walking. You're also climbing 1,500 feet up to Jerusalem. That's like climbing Winter Hill at the same time. So it's not an easy journey. Now, the group of people who are traveling from Nazareth, it's Jesus, it's Mary and Joseph, it's family, it's friends. Now, Nazareth was probably a town of about 500 people, not a big place. But it was likely that the majority of those people would be off on this journey to Jerusalem. Let's just say it's two or three hundred. Quite a big group of people traveling. And they're heading off to Jerusalem for the Passover, that time of year where the Jews remembered that ancient festival that God had led them out of Egypt, that God was the great rescuer. And they would go there every year to celebrate. And this was the Jerusalem that they would come to. That's a model of what Jerusalem could have looked like at the time of Jesus. It's quite impressive, isn't it? Really impressive city. I don't know if you can see that. That's the actual temple there. This is the whole of the sort of temple surroundings. And it's big. It's the second temple. And it was built after the exiles returned from, from Babylon. But then King Herod the Great, you know, the one in nativity story fame, 
He expanded it to this massive area, and it covered 18 football pitches. That's how big it was. Just imagine the size of it. It's massive. And they would arrive, the group of people from Nazareth, into this city, crammed with people. About 30,000 people lived there. By Passover, another 100 to 150,000 people would be there. Just imagine the sights and the sounds and the smells and the crowds. It would be rather like this. People just stuck in every corner. People looking for accommodation. Every bit of space used up. So try and get the sense here. You're a family from a small rural town, and you've ended up at this festival in the middle of Jerusalem, full of all those different things going on. At the end of the festival, the group from Nazareth set off. They're going back. Three days travel, thankfully all downhill in this direction, down to Nazareth. But it's a long, long way. And Mary and Joseph presume that Jesus is with the group. And they set off, but in verse 44, it says, after traveling for a day, probably imagine the crowds have thinned out somewhat, people have started disappearing off to their various towns and villages. They suddenly go around and realize Jesus isn't there. Just imagine for a moment that absolute blind sense of panic. Somebody, their son, is missing. You can imagine them going around, have you seen Jesus? No, I've not seen him. Have you seen him? Oh, he's with them. No, he's not with them. And suddenly, they come to the realization he isn't there. Panic would set in. You're a day out from Jerusalem. There are no mobile phones. There's no text messages. There's no 999 to call. There is nobody to help you apart from going back and taking a look. Where's he gone? Where is Jesus? Well, bad things could happen to young people at this time in history. If a young person was on their own and there was nobody with them, they could get sold into slavery or worse. What has happened to Jesus? I don't know if you've ever lost something important, but it is one of the most awful situations to be in, isn't it? I I don't remember ever losing a person, but I do remember my sister's dog went missing once. And she had this rather um, neurotic border collie. And it leapt out of the garden one day, took a fright or something, and disappeared. And it didn't return. And I can remember, I mean, it's probably 25 years ago now, going around the area where they lived, searching for this dog. Powerless. You know, you can't ring the police about a missing dog. They, they probably wouldn't be that interested. There's nothing you can do. You just have to wait. You just have to search. What happened? Four days later, there's a bark at the back door, and this dog appears again, having slept in a compost heap. Well, that's what we think because of the smell. Um, But you panic. You're powerless when you've lost something. All our power, everything is taken away from us. And now it's at this point that Mary and Joseph act on a purely human basis. Verse 48, Mary says she was anxiously searching. You can imagine the stress in them. And search you would, wouldn't you? You know, David Cameron, I think it was, left his daughter in a pub, and it made the news headlines, but that was for a few hours. And that was with 999 and all the different things you can do to contact people. This isn't like that. And Jesus has been gone for a day. So they go back to look for him. A day of hasty travel, possibly back to Jerusalem. By verse 46, they have been searching around for three days. Three days, possibly going around friends' homes, families' homes, looking at groups of lads in the street playing. You'd imagine that's what a 12-year-old would be doing. They'd be looking all around the city. And then eventually, they find him in the temple courts. Now, I don't want to be harsh on Mary here and Joseph. I really don't. But I just wonder, I just wonder whether they have forgotten to remember who their son is. 
whether in all the panic of losing Jesus, where they have just forgotten to remember who he is. You know, we can do that, can't we? When we get into times of panic in life, when suddenly a period of stress hits us, we can forget to remember Jesus. And we can just react on a purely human level. But just let's have a recap of what Mary knew about Jesus. I hope you can see this. It's probably a bit small on the screen. But this is going back through the early parts of Luke's Gospel. You'll know most of these readings from the Nativity and and Christmas readings that we would have. Luke chapter 1. The angel Gabriel visits Mary, and what does he say to her? He will be great and called the Son of the Most High. She'd heard that from an angel from heaven. She knew it. By verse 46 of chapter 1, Mary is singing this amazing song of praise that gets called the Magnificat. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. By chapter 2, Jesus is born. What happens in Luke's Gospels? Well, the angels appear to the shepherds on the hillside. There's the heavenly choir singing glory to God and so on. They come and tell Mary all about it. She knows all about it. She's heard it. And by chapter 3, verse 19, it says, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Add to that the things from Matthew's Gospel, the visit of the Magi, the flight to Egypt, the presentation at the temple, and so on. And there's a lot of things that both Mary and Joseph knew. We never get to hear from Joseph. We only get to hear from Mary. So I'll focus on her. There's a lot of things that she knew. A lot of things that she pondered on. A lot of things that she would have understood. But it's all over a decade ago now. And there is just one verse in Luke's Gospel that fills in a whole decade or more of Jesus' life. In chapter 2, verse 40, it says, And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. And I just wonder in the panic whether Mary had forgotten her ponderings, forgotten the things that she had treasured. Well, eventually they find Jesus is in the temple. If we do our maths, one day out from Jerusalem thinking he's with them, one day back, three days searching, five days. That's, is that right? Is, that, is my maths good enough to do that? I think that's right. Five days. What was Jesus doing? Was he in the temple the whole time? Quite possibly. The temple was open day and night. There'd be plenty of food around. Perhaps he slept in a corner. And when they find him, in verse 46, what's he doing? Well, he's not doing what I'd have been doing as a 12-year-old boy, which would have been playing or mucking about or eating. He's, he's talking to the rabbis. He's talking to the teachers. He's learning And he is answering questions with such depth of understanding that the listeners are amazed. What are we getting a picture of here? What is happening? Well, a Jewish boy becomes a man very young in the the Jewish traditions. Now, if if you're a Jew, it would be age 13, you would have your bar mitzvah. And it would then be your choice as a a male Jew to decide how to live your life as as a follower of the Lord. What kind of path you would take. Back in Jesus' day, it was age 12. Is this that? Some commentators think it is. Some are not sure. But it's possibly a very significant point in Jesus' life. But what is important is Jesus is taking time to be with his heavenly Father. You know, on this Father's Day, let's remember that Jesus' Father was his Father in heaven. His perfect Father, our heavenly Father. And he's there in the temple, the place of presence, the place of sacrifice, the place, if you are here last week, that we find Isaiah having that most incredible encounter with God. And on being found by his earthly parents, he responds with the confidence of a teenager. I don't know if you can remember back to that age when you're about 10, 11, 12, when before the hormones really kick in, you go through a period of feeling really confident about yourself. Do you remember that? 
I can remember feeling that about that kind of age and thinking that I knew it all only to suddenly realize I didn't. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I would be in my father's house? Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew who he was. Had Mary forgotten who he was? I wonder had she pondered, I wonder whether she'd have missed this blind panic as a parent, rushing round. Might she have just tempered that somewhat as she rested in the promises of who her son was? It's very easy, isn't it, to view our lives just through human eyes and to forget to remember Jesus. You know, it might be the moment you're going through a relational struggle and you're not bringing Jesus into that situation and, and it's hard and you're forgetting that Jesus is in there right with you. It might be that just this week you've had something from the doctors that is scaring you and you're thinking, where is God in all of this? Well, he's right there with you. Jesus promises never to leave us or forsake us. You might get a bill through the door and you might be thinking, well, how on earth am I going to pay this? It's going to tip us right over the edge. I can't afford it. And we forget to remember that Jesus walks with us. You know, on a purely human level, these and many more things can cause the spiraling of pressure, can't they? And we can forget to remember that we are God's children, dearly loved, forgiven, people of promise, people who have the Spirit with us. You know, Jesus was still missing. Wouldn't have made any difference to that. The problem would have still been there. But I just wonder if Mary might have responded a little bit differently. You know, I don't know what you face today. You don't really know what I'm facing today. But one thing I can guarantee from Scripture is that Jesus is there with you if you remember him. If you bring him to mind, he will journey with you. He won't be disappearing off anywhere. But Mary is still bemused. She doesn't get why Jesus is in the temple. And even when he explains it, it says in verse 50, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Jesus was in the place of his father's presence, his father's voice, the spirit. Had she forgotten to remember to listen to the voice of God? Had she forgotten? I hope Carol doesn't mind me picking her on, on her at this point. But Carol had an experience this week or last week, where, in a way, I think you'd describe it as you forgot to listen to God. Is that right? Do you want to just come and share us quickly? Just go to that microphone, that should be on. This really is a testimony of an epic fail. <laughs> um, uh, two weeks ago, I spoke here, and I spoke, about, I spoke about listening to God and obedient hearing. And then... Last Sunday, I was at the URC church, and I, I spoke a very similar thing, slightly different emphasis on it, but the same thing, obedient hearing, listening to God. And um, afterwards, at a cup of tea, I was chatting to a, a lovely lady, and she was telling everyone about her husband's medical condition. She was quite elderly, and lots of people were asking after her husband, and, and I think ask her about her health. And I'm like, well, I can't be any great revelation to go from God, can it? I mean, what 84-year-old woman doesn't have some sort of health problems? So we're chatting away, and, and then I ask her about her health. Yeah, well, I could, but, you know, it's no big thing, and she's chatting to other people, and we're, ask her about her health. 
ask her about her health. And then she tells me about um, a great um, blessing and answer to prayer. One of her daughters um, who um, had only been given a very short time to live, but still had cancer, but had been alive for, for five years. And they were praising God for her presence still in their lives and the answer to prayer that that was. And, um, and I'm like, oh, that's wonderful. Ask her about her health. Ask her about her health. <laughs> so, so eventually I asked her about her health. And she told me about a problem that she was having. Unfortunately, I'd left it to right at the very end of our time together. And the person who was giving her a lift home was encouraging her to leave. And so I kind of blurted out, oh, I'll pray about that for you. And she says, thank you, dear. That would be such a blessing. And I thought, you idiot. You idiot. Why did I leave it so long? Here's me. I've been talking to loads of people for the last two weeks about obedient hearing. And I heard something, and I just sort of didn't act on it until it was too late, really. Thanks, Carol. It's just important to remember, isn't it? Remembering is so important. Remembering to listen to the voice of God. Remembering to act on what we hear, remembering to open our scriptures, remembering that Jesus is with us. Well, the passage ends. Mary and Joseph and Jesus head off back to Nazareth. And Luke says he's obedient to them. He fulfills the obligations of the law. And then I think we get this beautiful little verse at the end, and it's as if the penny starts to drop to Mary. And it simply says, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. We heard that before, didn't we? See, that was previously in chapter 3, verse 19. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart. Sorry, that's the wrong reference there. Chapter 2, verse 19, a number out. And it serves as a little refrain around Mary's life. She was one of those people who would go away and think deeply and process things. Now, I don't know what you're like. I'm a bit of an external processor. So if I'm talking, I just talk and think at the same time. So never take the last thing, that the first thing that I say is actually what I'm thinking. It will come out later. Um, You might not be like that. You might be somebody like Mary who goes away and ponders and thinks and then brings those things to mind. Whichever way we are, that remembering who Jesus is. So I just want to leave us really with the three things about do we forget to remember Jesus? You know, his teaching, his teaching. When Jesus walked the earth, he he taught us how to live a godly life. I wonder how many sins we might not fall into if we just remember Jesus in the moment of temptation. If we just bring those things to mind and we think, Lord, you wouldn't want me to be doing this. Why am I doing it? And we might check ourselves and we might pause and we might not do the damage that sin can cause. I wonder whether we forget his promises to walk with us, to journey with us, to be an ever-present help, even in those darkest days, that he will always be there. Do we forget to remember Jesus and his voice? We've heard it from Carol this morning, that we just forget to listen. Or if we do listen, we forget to act, or we don't remember to act. Well, in a few moments, John's going to be leading us in communion, which is a time of remembrance, isn't it? We remember all that Jesus has done for us, the great sacrifice on the cross for our sin. 
can encourage us. Let's not forget to remember Jesus. Let me pray for us. Just in the stillness, it may be that you, you want to picture the, the story that we've just been looking at, the account we've been looking at. And just the sense of, of Mary and Joseph walking back from Jerusalem to Nazareth without Jesus. And it may be for some of us this morning that that's what life is feeling like. That it's a long slog and we've forgotten that Jesus has actually promised to be with us. I just encourage you, if that's you today, to remember that Jesus never abandons us. And remember the journey of our life is always with Jesus when we turn to him. So Lord Jesus, if that's us this morning, if we're walking without you, would you help us to turn again, to remember you, to invite you into our hearts and lives afresh, to remember all that you have done for us and to journey this life, listening to your voice, hearing your commands, walking in your ways. And we ask it so that we may live our lives for your glory. Amen.